I'm a professor of AI. I've been studying generative AI since 2015 under the name of computational creativity. I have uh, 50 peer-reviewed research publications that have been cited 1,200 times. I'm also a trained opera singer, producer, and composer. I have a fairly heavy music life and uh, a musical AI startup. So I'm a professor at Santa Clara University. I should probably mention that explicitly. And um, I'm a uh, CEO and co-founder of Web AI, which is a musical AI startup. Awesome. Um... So I know that you you studied computer science undergraduate and you sort of moved around internationally growing up. When did you, this is out of curiosity just now that you said that, when did you train to become an opera singer and fit in all of the musical pursuits? Uh, so I actually studied piano as a child uh, for a few years. Then my family immigrated to Canada and uh, actually could not afford an instrument for many years. So there was this involuntary break in my music education. When I was 27, I started taking vocal lessons from a local opera singer in Waterloo, Canada. And that's what brought music back into my life. And I also picked up piano again as an adult. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, so first question, one of the recurring themes in our conversations is like the bridge, I'm sure you think about this a lot, the bridge between someone who's highly knowledgeable about music and someone who's highly knowledgeable about coding and how the use of AI and application of AI and artistic spheres in general is exposing this bridge. Um, how do you navigate this gap? Um, how do you view it, especially in an undergraduate environment? And how do you think we can like, or what do you think is the importance of bridging this gap right now with AI? So the gap between studying technical things and doing the arts? Yeah. That's actually the question. You know, I think um, every age has its emphasis. Every time in history kind of defines what's considered valuable, what's most economically promising. What's like a, a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're all human, right? And part of being human is engaging in self-expression, whether it be by playing games or reading books or or actually expressing kind of yourself through the arts in, in some way. And I think a lot of people feel um, a little bit suffocated by the options that are considered valuable in our society and don't feel like they have the freedom to devote some of their time to the arts amongst people who are genuinely interested in it. And I think it's a shame. I think it's important to give yourself permission to spend at least some of your time in a way that aligns with what you want to do. I don't know if that answer is a, your question. <laughs> um, it it's, does partially. Um, I was more thinking, like, do you see sort of shortcomings with code related to music because those coders don't understand music or or oh. on the other hand shortcomings in the way that musicians engage with AI because they don't quite understand how AI works yeah there's definitely a lot of education that needs to happen I mean you're right on both accounts um I feel that the best work in generative AI I mean I'm used to thinking about it as computational creativity but not everybody calls it generative AI comes when you bring in domain expertise so you need to know how to code how to build machine learning models but you also Need at least somebody on the team who is a domain expert. If you're building art systems, you need an artist. If you're building music system, you need musicians and preferably multiple ones. Because mm -hmm. um, yeah, if you're not an artist and a musician, you're gonna have a lot of holes in your knowledge and that's gonna impact the model quality in different ways. Um, the other way, of course, is important as well. There are a lot of, um, so many systems that were built by artists over the years. But then you bring in machine learning expertise kind of into the mix and suddenly you can go so much further. I mean, really generative AI is in a way 
some of the greatest collaborative accomplishment of our times because it combines the knowledge base of so many people in, in the data alone. Yes, I agree. Um, okay, backtrack. What drew you to computer science? And while studying computer science, did you always see a connection to music? And like, what was that connection? I had a kind of very nonlinear path in my life. Uh, as I mentioned, I played piano as a very small child. And I was really passionate about it, but that was sort of that option was kind of eliminated for me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went into being kind of learning computer science because of a love of coding. I kind of tried it in high school and I found it very kind of amazing to be able to create something. So creation always appealed to me, I suppose. And I liked the math angle of it. I went through a phase kind of throughout my whole education of going really, really deep into what people consider left brain. It's a misnomer, but like that's yeah how it's often understood. And I think that was really good for my development. Um, but ultimately I was always kind of searching for ways to tie the arts into it. Mm-hmm. And I finally, I mean, to me, it felt like such a long journey, but, but in fact, I mean, I found it back in 2015 and then eight years later is and now, now it's sort of blowing up. Um, but it, it was a journey and it took a lot of, persistence at some point to not settle and not give up um, finding something that really speaks to me on a personal level um please correct me if I'm mispronouncing but can you explain just your process and involvement with uh, is it Alicia oh that's our old product I'd rather focus on the I know okay. well, I was gonna ask um the transition between the two or the development of it as a whole or well, it's just been a lot of learning you know I'm a first-time founder so there was a, one of my co-founders has some experience from previous startups. So there was just a lot to learn. And um, Alicia was a really cool product. And I can definitely see, see us bringing back something like this. Um, it, it helped with lyrics, with background music, and it helped to create an entire song. But then we felt that we want to do something that's more, that gives the user more creative control. Mm. And that's what Lyric Studio came about. It had a narrower focus, just lyrics. Uh, so it more easily plugs into people's existing process if they already are dabbling in music. So that, I think, ultimately turned out to be a better pass for us right now. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's been quite a journey. Can you explain um, like the teamwork involved with the creation of Wave AI? And then could you also just first do a general introduction of Wave AI? Yeah, own. Wave AI is a startup focusing on um, broadening access to songwriting in a way that genuinely improves the creative process. So we're not click of a button music. It's not like you come in, boom, 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 here's music. Mm-hmm. That's not creation. That's not that's not the human creating. That's the machine creating. So we're all about how do we use this technology to make you into a songwriter or into a better songwriter. Mm-hmm. We're humans really... Um, where we struggle as humans, even some of the most talented of us, is seeing what our options are. You know, that's why people write in one style, because they kind of like figure out, they can see only a part of possibilities that are in front of them. And they kind of keep going back to the same stuff. And that's not criticism of humans. We're, we have so many incredible creative strengths. We're so good at seeing patterns and connecting things and using the different modalities to express what it means to be human. And I think machines are unlikely to ever have all, all of our strengths, but they do bring in strengths that we lack, which is they can help just break through writer's block like nothing else. They can show you what options are available to you. Um, yeah, so that's kind of our attitude. 
to, we call it humble creative machines. It's all about you and how we help you express yourself. So are you critical, based off what I'm hearing, are you critical of like AI generated art or where do you land? I'm obsessed with some of the stuff that's going on in the industry right now. I feel so lucky to <laughs> be alive at this time and be prepared for it. I literally spent from midnight till 4 a.m. recently because I'm so busy, but I wanted to figure out my journey. I just took, you know, the night to learn it, at least, you know, the beginning of it. And I, think I love mid journey. Yeah, it's incredible. And Chad GPT, it's fabulous. You know, so many people come into it and they try to break it. Okay, great. There is value in that, right? But I come into it and I'm like, how can I use it? How can this be useful for me? Yeah. And it can be useful in so many ways. So I am not, I do have some criticisms of a lot of these technologies. I'm very unhappy with some of the stuff that's happening. But I'm also fundamentally a massive fan of what's going on. What are you upset about? Could you elaborate? Well, I think that this whole idea of making it easy to imitate other artists is misguided at best. Mm -hmm. that is not necessary we've had this in academia for decades and people don't do stuff like this mm -hmm. like we academics like the only systems i'm aware of in academia and perhaps i missed something are um like systems that are created by that artist the harold coin created aaron which was a system around the 1980s it was a painting system and the system painted in his style that's okay it's his style he can do whatever he wants with it right mm -hmm. and sometimes you know we build some systems like writing in the style of deceased artists that's a little bit tricky as well but at least there is some value in there you know if you set up the legal aspect correctly imitating the style of living artists without their permission I mean, that's that's new territory for me i haven't i haven't seen this before and it's not necessary and there are lawsuits going on right now that don't hyper target on the specific issue i'm pointing out right now but in general i'm sort of very unhappy about what's happening and i hope i really really hope that we will converge to a place that respects artists more and just fundamentally becomes more human centric in this industry yeah but without like all of the data of different artists mid-journey couldn't produce the types of images it does so how do we like give it that data while we're not the same thing they're using label data that's the problem they're what not just using a whole bunch of labels like they know their system knows which artworks are picasso yeah which artworks are da vinci and as a result, I can come in and be like, give me a style, give me an art in the style of blah, 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 you know, of, of a specific person. And that's the problem. You can have the same system and not allow people to intentionally imitate anybody. It's mm. actually not that complicated. Okay. First of all, I... don't put it in your training data and definitely don't allow it at prompt time. I understand that. Yeah. Okay. Um, my next question is what attracts you to the undergraduate environment, academia in general with your interests? Um, what keeps you here? What keeps me in academia? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, students are some of the, I have a funny answer for you. I don't know if I should say that. Um, you know, students are the earliest adopters of technology. Schools are Absolutely. freaking out for very good reason. Schools are freaking out for good reason about yeah. how students are using all this <laughs> That's awesome that you just said that. But like students are so innovative. Stuff that you learn in your early 20s, you accept as normal. Yeah. Stuff that you learn in your 50s and 60s feel like some kind of aberration sometimes. So yeah. I feel like, oh, and then, you know, I do research with students. We kind of really explore new territories. There is nothing quite like young people. That's so interesting. I feel like I want to make that one of the main points of our magazine. It's also like, 
Okay, but as long as we're going to present a balanced perspective there, there are real <laughs> challenges. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you most excited and what are you most fearful for for the application of AI? And you can specify the question to whatever degree you want. I mean, I'm just so excited about everything that's going on. I'm like the hugest fan of all of this. I feel like there is so much opportunity I feel like there is real opportunity to, to be of real benefit to humanity. I'm not sure if we're going to see that right away. I am sure that there are going to be pitfalls along the way, some of which are very serious. The fact that the wages of living artists, some living artists have already been hurt. It's kind of insane to me. Generative AI is really powerful. It's going to do bad. It's going to do good. Um, because people ultimately it's in the hands of people, right? And people choose to do good things and choose to do bad things. And that's just life, unfortunately. Uh, ultimately, I feel that this is a massive step in our evolution as a creative species. We're essentially able to collaborate with these incredibly creative entities that combine the creativity of millions of people all at once. So if we can zoom out for a second, just for a second, out of our own personal interests and protecting, you know, protecting what's ours, and just look at how amazing this is, that I can collaborate with a system that would help me create incredible art in so many different ways. Like I'm basically collaborating with millions of people at the same time. When people use our lyric system, they become lyricists. They actually become better pen and paper lyricists. This is crazy. That kind of stuff was not possible before. And that's where I'm excited about how it's actually gonna make our species more creative, but it has to be done right. You know, It has to be done with some genuine insight into what's happening um how does wave ai or like what distinguishment did you draw draw on the back end to make sure that it was something that would help people overcome writer's block without doing their work for them or becoming machine generated uh, so a lot of it has to do with our interface we generate one line at a time and what ends up happening we actually did experiments in universities and schools early on what happens is a person comes in and they're like, I can't write songs. This is crazy, you know? <laughs> and when they pick some topics and then they generate some lines, they're like, okay, this looks good. Generate again. Okay, this looks good. Within like three to five minutes, usually, oh, sort of two to three minutes, you start watching them being like, oh, I want to edit that. Oh, I have my own idea. I think I want to write this. Hmm. So it's like this humble sage sitting in the background, only helping you to the degree you need help. Lots of people build independence. And then more advanced people come back when they're stuck. And honestly, with creative endeavors, you get stuck pretty often. And also like exploring new genres. So there's a lot of use cases for people who are like a little bit more advanced. But I think it's also like just so exciting to bring in people who could never really like who are not able to dedicate the amount of time to learn songwriting in the traditional ways. But what is lost in that process of skipping learning how to use how to write songwrite? Or I really don't think that anything is skipped because it it forced the system fosters independence. Mm. So it's if you come in and we write a whole song for you, then there's a big problem. There's a big loss when you come to GPT, and that's what so many educators are for very good reason, extremely concerned about, and that's this um, idea that people will stop learning how to write altogether. Right? So it's kind of really scary. With our stuff, the way it's set up, you don't bring in this risk. There's something really, the system doesn't even work very well if you just try to rely on it too heavily. It's just not designed for, for autonomous writing. 
So it's like the patience that you like incorporate into the code is sort of like it purposely takes a while to generate. Oh, it's, it's not that it takes a while. It just does it one line at a time. Yeah. And so it's just, it's sort of not geared for, for autonomous. If you do something, you need to write a whole song of lyrics. It gives you ideas one line at a time. It is your job to make it kind of come together. It's, it's not like we're intentionally stalling our system or throttling them or something. It's just the whole user interface. I mean, we came before a lot of these systems to be fair, right? It's not like we saw ChatGPT and we're like, oh, we want to be different. It's like we invented the whole thing. And then ChatGPT and, you know, Dali and Stability all come in and they're all doing things the same way. That is not the only way to do generative AI. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Um, I'm going to backtrack to my question because you were so focused on being excited. Is there anything that you're fearful for about the spread of AI? I am concerned about what's going to happen with the lawsuits right now. Um, I'm concerned about what's going to happen to artists. I'm concerned about this hyper-focus on autonomous systems on click of a button creation. I feel like it misses the much greater opportunity and much more positive and impactful opportunity to mm -hmm. elevate the creativity of humans. Yeah, so that's, um, you know, we keep an eye. I do my best to share how I see things through the media, with businesses, with venture capitalists, to try to present an alternative. And what do you usually... How do you phrase it? How do you present this alternative? Well, what I try to make them see is that there is a massive monetary opportunity in making human beings more creative. That click of a button, it's even academia started with click of a button. This kind of, it's called autonomous creativity. How do you make a machine creative by itself with minimal human involvement? Researchers found this fundamentally, like academically interesting. But then they started talking about co-creativity and how do you make the human more creative? And I go with it really deep. It's like, how do you make process better how do you make the creative process better and if when you don't get stuck very much when there's always ideas floating around the creative process just moves one of our songwriters uh, well, uh, one of the songwriters who uses our stuff mm -hmm. Curtis King, he calls it lightning in a bottle it's kind of like you just keep you're moving so quickly because you're supported and your own ideas are flowing much better so it's i mean when was the last time we had real improvements profoundly in human creativity it's been a, we mostly have tools so this is a really special kind of tool mm -hmm. um so when you were coding wave ai how did you one of my questions in general that i haven't come to answer is like how international like chat gbt is applicable or if there's just going to be different versions for every place so did you try to make wave ai internationally compatible or did you do like only english lyrics or like western music well, you know, when you're a startup, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It's actually, um, you know, you have this massive vision, you want to do everything, and you're like, okay, what am I actually going to do? And if you go too broad, you get in trouble. That's It's not a good, unless you just happen to be exceedingly well-funded from day one. So we, you know, we started narrow, we service mostly the U.S., so we have users pretty much everywhere. It focuses on English right now, but of course, you know, other languages are very natural. Expansion, we've already built our tools in some other languages. Uh, yeah, when we're a little bit bigger. Circle back on that. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll get back to you. Um, but did you like, did you bring up these types of conversations while going through the process? Well, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, it's kind of clear that actually very early on, we made our system in Italian when it was still in research mode. Oh, that's interesting. We made it in some Asian languages. So it's, it's a lot of, uh, it's kind of a very natural extension when you are you know in academia you have so much freedom you just do stuff and release it and then most of the time nobody knows and then which is, sometimes they do some stuff out of academia just makes a massive splash it's not always it's just it's kind of 
oftentimes, because it's, it's a different, it's a different world. It's its own ecosystem, academia. Mm-hmm. And in business, you release this one narrow thing, but you really have a chance of people getting to know it. Over a million people have used our stuff. Written millions of songs have been written with our platform. That's the kind of impact that uh, that I wanted to have. I guess that's important to me that this stuff we came up with is not just a constant. Has anything really surprised you about the way that people use Wave AI? Like, has there any been been any like actual creative uses of it that you didn't imagine it could be used for? Um. Yeah. Well, of course. There's this one guy, Sky Jordan, is a YouTuber who uses it to. Uh, I think it's called freestyle. Mm-hmm. He generates stuff in real time, just like very, very quickly. Puts it together as he's singing. It's incredible. But in like, and we just released Melody Studio on Monday, and I've watched some professionals use it. I'm just blown away. So our users surprise us constantly. Yeah. They're uh, we love them. It's all for them, right? <laughs> of course. Um, are you working on any other projects or? I always work on so many things. That, yeah, okay. um, I think I'd like to share. So there's some stuff we're looking at some ethical dimensions of these large models. So I kind of like, kind of funny, you know, I don't have like a one track mind when it comes to this stuff. Fundamentally, I'm a, such a massive fan and I'm so in love with all of this generative AI stuff. But then like, you know, even if you love someone, doesn't mean you don't see their flaws. <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh. <laughs> So we've been studying like brilliance bias in these models. So brilliance bias is this implicit belief that pretty much all of us have to one degree or another, that if somebody's a genius, they're probably a guy, right? It's, it's a subconscious bias. It's not, it's not on purpose. At least for most people, it's not on purpose. Mm-hmm. And so we did some analysis of GPT models and we're just analyzing the image models right now. And there's just so much evidence of, uh, yeah. Because they're trained on older data. So even like right now, if we made a little bit of progress, we're bringing in data from like 10 years ago, kind of from the beginning of the internet. A lot of these models are trying on 10% of the internet. And so anyway, it's kind of like amplifying biases that we're trying to move past. And that's a problem. Yeah. Was you- it- Sorry. I was going to say, wasn't the original Turing test just a man and a woman? And it was trying to see if the like third party could tell which one was the man or the woman, because the woman would be less intelligent. <laughs> Really? I've never heard of this word. I have to look that up. That's wild. They erased it from the textbooks or something. Wow. Just crazy. Like, how did this rise? Yeah, it's very interesting. I feel like it's not something that, yeah, that people like outside of the coding world think about is that every single like website design they're seeing was designed by and for men or by and for white men predominantly. Um, Other people even exist. <laughs> Um, could you describe like the the team that was involved with the coding of wave ai and like what roles each of you did oh i mean my co-founders wrote most of the code for a while and now we have some employees amazing people doing front-end development and we're going to be growing our team we're fundraising right now going to grow the team significantly um yeah i mean it's it's all about the team it's it's literally all about the team because the ceo doesn't you know in my case and i didn't build the systems i came up with Kind of the direction that I wanted us to go, and I help out however I can. But it's the team that actually brings the product to life, that actually is the company. So it's it's all about my co-founders and our employees, one hundred percent. What types of people did you want to make sure were like involved and brought into the process, and why? Well, me and my co-founders started 
started this and so for a long time it was just the three of us with people helping out a little bit mm-hmm. but then uh we have a, a really and great you- art and design person who's been with us since essentially the beginning as well so he's amazing um yeah <laughs> the team is everything i don't even know what to well, say it's three co-founders three co-founders yeah and i mean you- they chris you all came from computer science background or was there like a purely science co or purely um music co-founder? So all three of us are musicians on the side. We kind of, oh, like, it seems awesome. pretty uniform, but in reality, we bring in like somewhat different strengths, somewhat different like personalities, which is super helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of this is so much of making a startup is psychological, you know, having people who are just, just stubborn to such a degree who can just, you know, withstand really really crazy stuff in the name of their vision and all three of us are like that and um you know we view things we're a very diverse team you know i'm the only woman uh, we are racially diverse and that's obviously not the only reason but we really kind of often look at things differently and i think there's a lot of strength in the ways that we are different as well cool um what courses do you do you teach any like music xai courses do you teach right now uh yeah so i, I teach some stuff i'm mostly like um kind of teaching a graduate class right now in generative ai you know i've taught so many things i've taught ai in general in the past i really like teaching computational creativity which i've called the course before and i still you know refer to it like that uh, i teach also like introductory algorithms i've taught that many times in the past uh, and that's kind of foundational building blocks I also find really cool. It's almost like, you know, we have this cool art stuff, but then having the foundation is also so important, right? Kind of keep us grounded. <laughs> yes. Um, who do you think should be, I don't know how to phrase this question, like what kind of space do you think should be in charge of deciding the application of AI in undergraduate spaces? Because I know right now there's a lot of backlash or fear, as you said, from English professors about ChatGPT replacing essay writing. But on the other hand, like music professors or computer scientists obviously want to spread AI. So do you think each department should set their own standard or students should have the autonomy to choose? Everybody's freaking out right now. Understandably. Yeah. So understandably. So much respect, and there are some real issues to solve. It's gonna take a moment for people to figure it out. The students who are in college right now and you know school, high school right now are going through an interesting phase. I think ultimately, like we had the calculator, right? When the calculator came out, people were like, "End of math," and then like the computer came out and like, "No, you have to learn handwriting. What are you doing?" And right now, my son can't go to high school without a laptop. Yeah. So ultimately, I mean, we're going to need to catch up, but this adjustment period is not going to be easy. Um, but we are going to settle on, I'm, I mean, I'm certain we're going to settle on accepting these technologies. I hope that at least, I mean, I hope that students will be required to also write in class, kind of like we do mass tests, also be required to write in class to make sure that they're learning how to write, because I think that's a, that's a dangerous skill to start losing. Oh my yeah. God. Uh, but at the same time, we need to learn how to use these tools. And there's a lot of depth in these tools. There's a lot of ways in which it can be legitimately helpful. And already a lot of companies are using it for like marketing copy and stuff like that. So people who graduate today, tomorrow in five years need to know how to use these tools. The adjustment period is going to be rough. And I'm seeing a lot of black and white thinking right now. Kind of like, let's get rid of it. Let's try to ban it. It's horrible. Let's kind of get students to stop doing this terrible thing. They're cheating. 
And then the other people are like, no, this is progress. It's not a black and white issue, right? It's it's subtle. It's We need to approach it with some finesse. Uh, and it's going to take people understanding what these tools are, first of all, before they can have any finesse in their thinking. Mm-hmm. So do you imagine that in the future, at some point, an AI education will be incorporated into high school? I hope so. Otherwise, we're not going to be educating people for the world we're going to be living in. And there's usually a lag, right? It's yeah. There is so much education is a very multifaceted system. The institution has to like adapt to the individuals always takes longer. Yeah. Um, those are the last formal questions that I have.